Hello friends, how's it going? It's Matt, you're listening to Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening, hope you enjoy this one. I'm back after a couple of weeks off actually, ended up having another one of those unscheduled breaks for a fortnight or so, partly because the Looking Sideways book project has stepped up a gear, so whatever spare time I have had has been busy with that but also partly because turned out I just needed a little bit of a break from it you know since the start nearly four years in been quite a a lot of work putting this thing out and you know every now and again I just need to not do it for a bit to ensure that it doesn't become a millstone or a proper bane which is what happened not that it became a proper bane but you know I was just making sure a bit of self-care you know to make sure that it doesn't Anyway, when I finally did get my shit together once again to record another episode, I got in touch with my friend Valeria, who's somebody I've been meaning to speak to for donkey's years. Now, before I get into the specifics, let me just say that I'm still not 100% confident of my ability to pronounce Valeria's surname correctly. So I sent her a WhatsApp asking her how I pronounce her name properly. And in reply, she sent me a voice note that I'm just going to reproduce here so that we're all clear. Valeria Ketitian. Got that? Nice. Anyway, Valeria, quite a story this one, encompassing as it does some classic looking sideways themes that have been evolving since the beginning of the podcast, really. For the past decade, she's been one of the driving forces behind the Longboard Girls crew, which during that time has grown to become one of the biggest communities in action sports. And now she's stepping aside from that role to focus fully on running new non-profit longboard women. And that organisation is going to be using longboarding, arts and educational programmes to create change in disadvantaged communities around the world. As you might imagine from that brief pricey, Valeria is a proper force of nature and a story is a fascinating and inspiring combination of the large and the small. I nearly said the micro and the macro, but that's the time type of wanky deep dive-esque phrase that we all hear way too much of on these podcasts anyway my point is that Valeria's story tells us that by living authentically and honestly you can use your own transformative story to create change on a larger level the large and the small you see it's even more of an achievement when you listen to some of the industry inspired obstacles she's had to negotiate on the way Um, there's one particular story which is fairly disheartening but Valeria's response to it is is uh, heartening, let's say. Anyway, big thanks to Valeria for this one. I think it's fair to say we both really enjoyed this chat. Great to catch up. And uh, thanks for not being too annoyed when I re- rescheduled our chat a couple of times because we had good surf at the ship pipes. Sorry about that. I'll be back at the end. In the meantime, here's my chat with Valeria. A sign from the universe. Enjoy. <laughs> So apart from that, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> apart from the collapse of the current system apart, and the just, total chaos, apparent chaos we live in, we, I'm great. <laughs> we just got the we just got the COVID chat out of the way off air um, early on. <laughs> it's such a cliche of these things at the minute, though, isn't it? It's like, hey, how's your year going, and how's how's uh, you know what's your what's your take on this? But you just moved back to Spain, right? Yes, I was no. I, I kind of I moved back to Spain a year ago. I was living on. But the you're road. in Argentina. 
You're in Argentina. No, f- I was in Argentina because I went there to do a campaign with Nike, and four ah, days after okay. I arrived, you got stuck. It was the 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 famous week that everything went down so four days ah, after me arriving they said you you come from spain you cannot go to the events you came to do and the day after they say the campaign is canceled and the day after they said borders are closed <laughs> so i got stuck in argentina for five months yeah <laughs> uh in buenos aires in buenos aires yes how's that it was okay it's just buenos aires at the moment argentina had had the longest quarantine of the world so we've been basically yes five months indoors yeah it was a special time (laughs) yeah unscheduled little return then and yes um right so you're so you got the place in mallorca right in mallorca yes at the moment yes and so you got that place a year ago one year ago yes the the years before i i've been living on the road for three years and uh yeah and now not really traveling just basically going wherever i had free accommodation so and working from any place and yeah one year ago i decided to settle back somewhere and i chose mallorca because i had mountains and beach and nature and i'm literally in the middle of nowhere and that makes me very happy at the moment did, have you had you spent much time there before? Like, had, was that quite a quite a random choice, or it was, was really really random? So I've been here like many, some years ago, maybe I don't know, ten years ago. It was the last time I've been in Mallorca, but I don't know. I just heard a little voice. Um, I don't want to sound too mystical, but that's the <laughs> truth. <laughs> sound away. <laughs> And it was like, you know, I thought of Mallorca and then a couple of weeks I was like, okay, I was telling the universe, okay, let's see if Mallorca is the place. And then some weeks after I met with this friend in Madrid just for some hours. He was going there. I was going there, both of us for some hours. And I told him this and he was like, oh, I have a place in Mallorca to rent. I'm like, wow. Okay. So I came to see it. I liked it. And that's uh, how it was. So yeah, synchronicity. Nice. (laughs) yeah and so and so you're enjoying it so it's a good place to be yes it's super nice because i'm not again i'm not in the city i'm in in a town where there's nothing there's not even a a bar or a supermarket or anything like that so i'm i enjoy enormously living quietly especially in these times i don't have to deal with uh much of the craziness at least not when i not when i look outside my window or i step foot outside my house yeah and of course there must be very few tourists around um yeah. on the island so which must be yeah i mean that's going to be probably this year and next year the quietest it's ever been right which yeah which is one of those things it's kind of been one of the weird things about this year hasn't it because on the one hand obviously yeah we don't need to explain everyone knows that's listened to this why it's been a weird <laughs> year um but then on the other hand there have there have been quite enjoyable elements to it in their in their rarity you know like which i've like i've traveled the least i've traveled in i don't know 30 years probably and that's actually been great Same. yeah um, <laughs> that 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 like on a on a personal like sanity level but also on an you know on an environmental level that's obviously a great thing like that i that that i've taken less flights than i ever have and that and the fact that that's kind of been forced on me has personally made me think well i just don't need to do that 
I don't need to travel as much. You know, I was doing it because it was a habit basically. And because, because I've become used to the fact that I could just book a flight and yeah. be in another country and, you know, it's going to cost me 200 pound and, and that, and that, so now I'm like, well, I don't really need to do that. And I think that's a really positive thing, you know? Um, so it is. And I guess when you look at where you're living, that's probably going to be a one a one in a generation event isn't it like the fact that there's so few tourists and you can actually enjoy it in a different way yes people that have been living here in the island they say for and they are my age around 40 they they say it's the first summer they that this summer reminds them to the summers when they were kids here that it was you know just the local people and this is extremely rare for an island as Mallorca it's really bad for tourism of course because many families live out of it of but course it's also very special it's a very special time as well and um, yeah i really like this i know it's not again not popular i'm filled with unpopular opinions today but i'm very <laughs> happy <laughs> but i'm actually really i think it's this enforced kind of quiet time we had i think it's it's really amazing and it's something most of us really needed despite of course i, I don't want to get in in all the economical implications and many of the things that have happened but just on a personal level of really being able to have that time and space to go inside those who wanted it right of course there are many people who don't never felt the need but many of us really use this time to really make this inner journey right and really go inside and and start thinking about many things we don't usually think i think it's 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 been a blessing for sure is that how it's been for you you've been able to work on some things perhaps that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to normally yes i i'm doing that all the time i'm i'm not going to say it was because of corona like i'm really trying to because i do i'm the i believe that anything that happens that it's um it says more you know the way i react or anything that is hurting is more about me than about what any other person could have done so to me going inside is like the answer to everything so having this time really crazy enforced <laughs> quietness and and yeah i think it it was really a blessing i don't know i think it's for those who are taking the chance, I think it's a very transformative year. As we were talking before, many people are, are waking up to new consciousnesses and maybe people, many people are waking up to things that, you know, until very recently they thought they were crazy or weird and suddenly now many th more things make sense. So I think it's a very interesting time. I think if you've got an element, if you're privileged enough to have an element of economic security and certainly I would put myself in that in that camp you know like I've been very fortunate this year because it, it's affected my life in certain ways but it, it hasn't hugely affected my the way that I want to live you know I'm still lucky enough to live that way that I want to live what it's given people that are lucky enough to be in my position is is time really isn't it you know because you because suddenly the you know when when everything locked down for weeks you know if I look at if I look at friends of mine who again quite middle class perhaps I've the ability to to use that time yeah I, I agree with you i think they've all it's it has been transformational for a lot of people even when you were struggling of course i do feel i'm extremely privileged because i still have a, a, a place to live and food to eat so this is yeah so my my basic needs are covered 
Um, but of course, it's not that I have like any kind of financial stability, like all the campaigns that I was doing this year, they all fell off and many of the things. So every month is kind of a struggle, you know, like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to figure this out? Like, you know, um, still in privilege, of course, but I don't know. I do believe as well, it's a very special time for, for transformation and to, to rethink, you know, many things, many of the things we used to put our money on and and you know i don't know and time suddenly became as well uh, i don't know i think it, shif it shifted a little bit our perception on time as well for some they complain uh, a lot and for some they they developed other kind of relationship with with time in the time the quietness and themselves so um, yeah of course aware being aware of the privilege but but still even in the struggle i think it's also as we were saying before through the challenge and through the struggle that we can these opportunities of growth and and transformation are created as well so has it changed in terms of your work in life has it has it changed your focus in any way this year have you have you have you made any changes that perhaps were driven by this new environment that you found yourself in mm, this year it's probably the year that i made the decision of uh leaving the job i had until the last for the last 10 years and uh, doing something that i've been wanting to do for the last for the past three i don't know if it was because of this year i don't know if I really, I, I wouldn't know to say if it was because of the current situation or it was just like a, it was the phase is over and now I'm starting something new. But it did came up and it's still, uh, I'm facing tons of challenges regarding this, you know, especially like professional things. And But I trust because I always say every time when you're working for a work greater good, the universe always provides. So I'm... Yeah, my last project definitely made me a woman of faith because the two times that I really wanted to quit because of the same reason of not having stability, of not knowing where my next, you know, how I would pay my rent the month after every time, the two big times that I wanted to quit, um, a miracle happened, like literally a miracle. So, so this, is when, this is when you were working on the original Longboard crew. And, yeah, on Longboard Girls and, crew, yes. And, and, and we're trying to get this off off the ground as it were like so what you you said you have faith like faith in what serendipity like the 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 power of the universe to deliver when you need it like how, how do you define that yes i again i believe when we when you're working for a greater good for something bigger than yourself and for something that is affecting positively the lives of so many around the world the universe somehow finds a way to make it happen to help me personally to pay my rent and buy food and to somehow finance the projects <laughs> that I'm working on. So, yeah, it's just the universe provides, you know, especially when you're working for a greater good, or at least that has been my experience in these past 10 years, which does not mean that they did not come with a lot of struggle, like a lot of struggle. Yeah, of course. I mean, mm. I think, I think like the, the decade you spent doing this is obviously testament to the amount of effort, work, commitment, blood, sweat, tears, presumably that have, that have gone into it. Um, but that's a really positive worldview. Is that, have you always, have you always thought like that? No, <laughs> 
No, no. This has been, I feel it's it's been a 10-year transformation, you know, as well. Especially the past 10 years pretty strongly. I will, always had like the same, I would say, spiritual beliefs or spiritual thoughts and, and that there is a greater good and that everything is energy and... Uh, the way we vibrate and resonates affects everything around us. But in this past yeah, 10, 8 years, the transformation have been really, really big. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy. Again, this does not mean that I don't struggle a lot or yeah, go no, I, face I, I, crazy I, I, challenges. It's I just, understand. Yeah. I understand. It's a, it's a nuanced thing, isn't it? You know, it's... it's um, the word faith, I think, is really relevant, isn't it? You know, because mm -hmm. it is an act. It is an act of faith. Like it's because what you and we should talk about the, you know, the the decade long. Um, I'm going to use the word journey, even <laughs> though I, I was I was trying not to. It's <laughs> okay, like, yeah, for me. Yeah. Fuck, I can't I can't think of another one. Um, but yeah, you know, like we should talk about that. But essentially, it's. If you just sat down a decade ago and and kind of thought, oh, I'm going to do what you ended up doing, you it it wouldn't, you know, what I mean, you wouldn't have done that. There's no way you would have sat down and gone like, I'm going to create this community, this organization. I'm going to like, you know, gather people all around the world based around this activity. You just wouldn't have done it at all. So I think like the fact that you did that, you did do it, and it's been a success, and it's led to the the venture that you're doing now, which again we, we'll talk to like the we'll talk about the NGO. Um, it, it is in itself quite an act of faith really like to actually have the perseverance and the the determination to see that through so i think it is a really interesting word but before we get into the details of it you mentioned two examples that that um underlined this this faith so could you could you talk about those like what what were those things then Yes, so the first one was, I don't remember the year, maybe 2000, we created Longboard Girls Green in 2010, and this may have been 2014 or 15, that even though the feedback we were getting from around the world was insane, and it was a revolution, and all these girls and women and non-binary people and men, they were all like, it was crazy, you know, the, the feedback we were getting everywhere was so nice, but I was still struggling so much, like every month again, like how I'm going to buy food, how I'm going to pay my rent. And I've been like this for years. And at some point I told the universe, okay, you know what, like send me a sign. Cause to me, this is done. I know with what I've done so far, I could get in any marketing, you know, department of any brand. They will be happy to have me because of, you know, everything we do like, but I just cannot keep on going this way. So I said, set me a big sign. Three days later, I had three euros in my account uh, at that moment. And three, uh, a couple of days after, I get a phone call from a very big, uh, I should not say, well, from a very big brand, you know, in the action sports <laughs> industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were like, hey, we're looking for a marketing manager to run the European department. And uh, yeah, we thought about you and they offered a super salary. They would pay my moving to another country. It was like super position. I was like, you know, I had what three euros in my account, or I got off this massive job. I'm like, oh, is this the sign? Is, is this really the sign? So I was like a little bit confused. So I called at that point one of my mentors, and I and I tell, hey, so this happened, you know? And I was like, but I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. And the same day that I got that job job offer, he tells me, you know what, Val? I believe in you and I believe in your project. So I'm going to do a counter offer. I'm going to give you as a present 10,000 euros. You'll never have to give it back to me. 
You just have to do this for someone else because we do now, since that moment, we do a lot of this, we call it karma business. Uh, you will have to do this for someone else. And uh, yeah, I just want to put that on the table so that if you don't want to accept that job because you don't feel that it's the way you want to go, you don't have to. Wow. So the same day, you know, three euros in my account, the same day I got this massive job offer and then I got my friend saying, I'll give away 10,000 euros to you. And of course, I called the brand and I said, thank you. I just got uh, a, a little miracle um, happened. I can't explain. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's you amazing. Know, yeah, so that was the first one in 2014. And then the second one happened in, I think it was 2016 or something like that. That again, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm quitting. Like, this is enough. And I said, if you're going to send me a sign, and I said to the universe, I don't want a sign. Like, I don't want like 2,000 bucks or 5,000 bucks, you know? Because at that time I had like debt and I was buying the 100% of the company. And I was like, if you're sending me a sign, it needs to be big. <laughs> Two weeks after... I get a call from, from this phone company in France. They wanted to do a, a campaign with them. I get these phone calls all the time, but you just never, you know, one of maybe a hundred gets through. And yeah. this one not only got through, but I was laughing because they say, okay, send me a budget. So I was, because I was with this, you know, talk with the universe, I was like, oh, really? So I sent, I don't really, you know, I said like, I don't know, whatever number, like super high. Because I was laughing on the inside because I had nothing to lose anymore. You know, I was like, Pfft. so I sent this super high number and they replied to me and they doubled that number. They doubled the number like this never happens, you know, and wow. then I was like, oh, wow, then maybe, OK, I got the message, you know. So these were yeah, the two miracles that happened every time, the two times I wanted to quit. You got going high though, and you got to back yourself high in those situations. That's what I kind of started doing. Like when, um, if I was faced, I, you know, like we don't do the same thing, but obviously we both kind of made a living from the industry in particular ways, and we have these transactions and conversations that you've just described. I certainly recognise the last one that you talked about, and um, yeah, I just decided if it just just back yourself you know like just just try and see what your value is and try and try and kind of say yeah and no, I, I think this is what it's worth you know and usually they kind of agree with you that's why yeah. that's what i found you know because it's, it's all about delivery isn't it you know like how how you deliver it and, and the confidence you have in your own value but that you have to kind of like get to a point i think to have the confidence to do that really mm -hmm. and yes it i think like it's the a first, journey the first yes. one hmm. the first one helped you probably get there like that faith that was shown in you so the karma business thing so you've then done this done a similar thing you've you've helped people in this in the same way yeah i don't ask for anything in return they just need to help some other people at some point of their lives and we've been operating from lumber girls crew this way every time we had money <laughs> many many times yes and now yeah we'll get there but now with the non-profit of course uh the same Wow, that's great. What a brilliant idea. Yes, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So it just comes back around basically. And you can how do you how do you choose what's the criteria to like for helping people? Is that just an instinctive thing? It's my heart, yes. So you yeah, just see I, it's again like a trust thing, like to, Yes, to there sort is something of, just that I feel that that is the person I need to help or or something that touches, you know, not everything resonates the same way to everyone. So when something resonates 
very deeply in me. I know that there is something that I need to do or someone that I need to help if I can. So that's how I do it. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, with the, And you've probably told this story a million times, so I hope you don't mind um, <laughs> helping me fill in the blanks for some of my listeners who might not be familiar with it. So 10, 10 years ago, so how, how did it start and what was the original, what were you trying to achieve in the beginning? Well, we were basically wanted to get more girls into longboarding and skateboarding because there were none. You know, this was 2010 in Madrid. I had started longboarding, I think, two years before. And we were so used to skating with the guys, which was great. But then once we ran into, I ran into these other girls and it was like, oh, this is so fun, you know. And I don't know, I we felt that there was not as much pressure for some reason and it was really I don't know the energy was fun and and relaxed and we basically wanted to create more of those moments so we opened this Facebook fan page called Longboard Girls Crew and started being very annoying with everyone around us to you know like the page this was really another time this was a time where you reached Facebook it, it it's crazy, but everything changed so much in ten years, right? Yeah. When it comes to to, to social media and, and these platforms, so at though at that time we had crazy reach, you know, and you really reached to everyone that was following you. So it just organically started to grow. A month after we created the the page, but organically plus our our, our annoyance, of course. Uh, but a month after <laughs> that, we were. I I thought of like, hey why don't we do a video, you know? To me, it was so logical because I kept seeing like all the guys doing these these videos, you know, they got together three, four and they were skating the city. And I was like, I don't think I ever seen that, like a video of women doing that. And uh, it turned out it was the first time that it was ever done ev anywhere, you know, in the world. Like we were 14 riders from Spain and France. We gathered one day in Madrid and shot our first video. And it was uh, beautifully shot by Juan Rajos. And uh, it just exploded, you know, like everywhere. It's something that it was never done before, which is crazy to think today because there is so much footage now. But at that time, there was no, this was never been done before. So, yeah, this video started, you know, going around the internet and, and reaching so many countries we could not believe because now the concept of reaching countries and reaching people and becoming viral, it's, it's, it's kind of like the everyday thing. But 10 years ago, it was not so much like that. And this video, it happened. It just started going around the world like crazy. And all these people especially this girl and these women were seeing this video and it's like, oh, because we, we were not doing anything crazy, right? We were just like kind of learning and doing some slides, yes, but really it was something I believe really approachable. So yeah. many girls and women identify was like, oh, they can do this. This looks like fun. Let's, you know, get some boards and, and try as well. So it was really nice to see how women who've never seen representation of other females doing that, suddenly they saw it and it's like we can do this too so that was very cool yeah because skateboarding like i'm gonna say like you know mainstream skateboarding culture traditional skateboarding culture obviously there's a huge community element to that clearly but in terms of like the the narrative it is a very progression based narrative and it's a very male narrative it's very like you know this if you want to be in this world you have to there's a level there's a level of you know it's extremely a, exclusive it's very exclusive it's very and exclusive. it's very hard 
initially. So the so the barrier for entry is like really high. And do you think do you think that's why um it struck such a chord? Because it was it was just like the accessibility, like you can do this and all that stuff that you see in in you know, like I say, traditional skateboarding culture basically doesn't really matter. That's not what we're doing. Yes, absolutely. Yes, because I, I say we were not jumping 20 stairs. We were just cruising <laughs> the flat around the city and really having a great time. So people many times, sometimes you, you need to be able to relate to something to f- even start thinking that you can also do it. So that's, I think, what we gave, you know, to girls and women with what we did. Did you, I'm sure you didn't care, but how, how did the that traditional skateboarding culture that we're talking about was there was there a reaction from that world was was there any kind of this isn't real skateboarding sort of pushback yes all the time of course yes (laughs) yes um but it's okay i mean it's fine i mean i don't i don't get into this uh, of course i understand there are two separate sports longboarding skateboarding some people even in the longboard world, you know, it's like, oh, you don't go downhill, then, you know, that's not real longboarding. And to me, all that is separation and I'm not interested in, in any of that. To me, I really work on just making things as inclusive as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. I mean, everyone is entitled to have their opinion and it's it's okay with me as well. I mean, that's why I asked the question, really, not to try and get you to talk about that just on that level, but more because that is, it seems to me, I've always thought this really, it's like, it's one of the ultimate paradoxes at the heart of all these cultures, you know, like on the one hand, it's like, Oh, it's so accessible. We're not, we're not football or we're not basketball. And, you know, we're so, we're so inclusive, but then really when you get into it, particularly with skateboarding and surfing, that's just actually not true. Like they're, they're as elitist uh, in their own way as, as any sport you care to mention, you know, there is surfing can be as elitist as golf, you know, I, Absolutely. I, I don't, I don't think that is a stretch to say that. Hmm. And and economically skiing and snowboarding is certainly as elitist as golf, you know. And I think it's, I always find it when people, it's why it's a bit of a joke when people say that they're not, there's no, I'll keep politics out of these things because hmm. ultimately whether you, whether you realize it or not, there is politics at play in all of these cultures. And I guess that's why I brought that question up really because that is a paradox that I've always thought is like hiding in plain sight, really. And if you mm. d- if you don't acknowledge that, you kind of you're either very privileged and it's just you've never had to worry about it, I, or you kind of or you kind of delusional, really. Because yeah. it, it, I, I I'd stand by that. I think that that is true about those cultures. So I guess that's why to bring something out which is very pure, which is supposed to be the point ultimately it's supposed to be about fucking around and having a laugh and and being a community and not caring what you look like or what you know all those things that's why i'm interested in how people reacted really inside the industry it was different there were some people who were really supportive and many people who were not and it, it happened even in i always say this it happened even in our small circles of skating you know we Everyone was really okay with this until we started to get really big. So suddenly the guys were not so cool with us being as popular because, of course, we didn't skate as good as they did. So um, there was a lot of that and there was a lot of of resistance from the action sports industry specific. Not not the longboarding, I would say, but I would say the action sport 
I always tell this story how was I was I was giving at the Eurocima, you know, in Hosegor every year. So yeah, I was yeah. giving this this talk. And they were all the CEOs of all the big companies. All of them, they were there. And I was giving this talk on how to attract the female market. And I basically, you know, told everyone they were doing a horrible job. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for the way they marketed women and the way they carried, you know, the, the, the female marketed products and all these kind of things. And, uh, yeah, I showed a little bit how we got so many women really, actually, honestly interested in the sport and in the industry. And uh, when I finished, uh, the CEO of one of the biggest companies uh, out there, he said to me, he approached to me and he said, hey, it's very nice and it's very interesting what you're doing, but I just want you to know that we're never going to support you. And wow. um, yeah, that got, this got me really angry. The first day I was like furious because I've been working so much and I was really trying to find support from the industry to keep on going. And then I realize that all these guys you know have, who have been running the industry since its beginnings they were not willing to give away any kind of power and we were just we were just giving it away to all the women who wanted so um, at that point i realized okay i can keep fighting with this industry that now i know will never let me in or i can do my own thing and hopefully many women around the world will resonate with what I'm doing and will want to join. And that's kind of what happened. And I'm very happy it happened. And also I started looking for support outside the action sport industry. That was a great tip as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a few things to say about that, isn't there? Like the first thing that, that springs to mind is the action sports industry is 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 behind the times culturally. I mean, like that, that again, that's, that, that's a pretty obvious thing to say. But I think you could really see that this year with, for example, the, the the way the debate around Black Lives Matter played out in our little world. I mean, it was actually laughable, really. You know, like the the way that that a debate that's been going on in mainstream culture for 40 years and there's been for 200 years. I mean, fucking hell, if we're really going to get down to it. And it's very nuanced and very clever people all around the world have been, you know, like arguing and debating and, and pushing things forward. And suddenly action sports decides to have a look at it <laughs> you know and it's like it was quite i just found it quite cringy you know it was like this this is this is actually quite a lot bigger than than your little world but mm. the other thing that it that struck me from when you talk about that is and it's something that's on on the website it's I, i'm gonna i actually wrote it down before we chatting because it representation matters but the quality of that representation is equally important mm -hmm. and that presumably is is why what you've done has been so successful because it's that th that's the key point isn't it it's like yeah you can you can have a women's team but what does that but what are you saying with with that action you know mm -hmm. what and i imagine the person that said that to you at sema probably i'm gonna guess might not if you, you know what i'm saying so like it, it seems it seems fairly obvious why it was successful because like you say, the way that you're trying to communicate it and the way that you're doing it was actually honest and not dependent upon this existing parochial idea that had been the status quo for years. Absolutely. Um, I, get, I guess off, I guess off the back of that, the next question would be, have you, has it changed then? Have you seen the attitude that you just summarized with that comment that that person made to you? 
in the intervening years because it's continued to grow hasn't it and now obviously it's just an established community and like you say you don't need you don't need that anymore have you noticed that that has changed it or is is that attitude still completely prevalent there is some progression i will say but still in my experience every time brands approach to do whatever kind of things most of the times i haven't done anything I would say in these past months, right? So when everything from the from from BLM happened and everything, you know, because now I guess brands are starting because they have to because of purely social pressure many times, not because they believe it's the right thing to do. Yeah, starting to look for for diversity in the people they portray or the, in their athletes. But most of the time, until this time, like every time I presented when a brand approached and they wanted to do something, I present them with many options and 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 uh, diversity uh, on ethnically body shapes ages uh, gender and uh, yeah people most of them tend to go always for the white blonde thin young writer so it, this doesn't mean that that kind of writer is right because many of these writers they shred and they shred hard you know but when it comes to your question how I've seen the, the portrayal changing, I still, honestly, I still see so many things that they they portray women not as rad or doing as rad things. You know, it's still more portrayed about like the posture, the clothes, the superficial thing instead of the skill. And this is what I work so hard on, on changing and what I've been doing these past years, I think. Um, yeah, that's one of my big aims. I had a really interesting conversation with Cory Cory Schumacher. Do you know Corrie? Oh, she's like, my so, good friend. I love her so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cory's amazing, obviously. Yeah. And um, she just had a she had a really interesting point about the Olympics, which was that for all the things you, for all the arguments you can make about how it's going to be bad for the culture, because and you know we all know what those arguments are. It's not something to talk about here. What it's actually going to do, though, is shine the harshest mainstream light on these cultures and and really show up how backward they are in a lot of ways in terms of like how women, LGBT, um, non-binary like representation is in these worlds. It is still quite far behind. And she she said her take was like, I actually think it's really positive because it will mean there'll be no hiding place. You know, like when that happens, things will have to change. And I think I thought that was really interesting in, in point because it it is there is still I think this this year has shown like a long way to go really isn't there not just in our little world but but generally does it get for you I mean it doesn't sound like you're the sort of person that gets particularly disheartened by fighting the same battles like as you, as you have been doing but do you feel do you still feel positive about it like is it do, do you still or does it is it hard to maintain the same you know in the face of a comment like that i mean that's that that's a harsh i mean it's almost like a bullying comment isn't it you know to somebody to say that to you you know like i mean it is it's it's essentially like you know get back in your box it you was know, very like it aggressive of course yes yeah so um how do you pick yourself up when you when you're hearing that like all day long you know what i mean like as you must have done over this this time you've been doing this yeah well th that was the hard hardish hardish time yes um but in general i i always keep positive because i know that these kind of people and these kind of ways of thinking their action they have they have a due date 
I, I do believe, as we say before, I do believe humanity is waking up, new consciousness are waking up, and what it was acceptable until some years ago, today is suddenly absolutely not, you know? And maybe it takes, like, movements and things. To me, it was crazy to think... To me, I was watching, like, everything that happened with Black Lives Matter and, and many of, of, I don't know, my U.S., people that I know like suddenly realizing this issue and to me it was crazy like really you've never noticed that there was racial injustice like seriously to me this is crazy you know so yeah that that blew my mind as well I I, I actually was like you know people posting things going like I had no idea and I was, I was <laughs> yes. like really no like, it's so crazy <laughs> yeah I mean that's like the the true extent of privilege but then on the flip side you know you've now got people that are basically claiming it actually doesn't exist you know like and, and claiming that you know the the concept of privilege is flawed and you know it's all critical race theory and all this mm. bullshit obviously but um yeah it's it, yes it, i guess there's gonna be a lot of that and there are gonna be yes a lot of people who who are still i mean we, we get the same comment when it comes to 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 women right like they say oh no no but you're actually have it better like you get sponsors not skating before you're less like you know all these things there are many you know things um you know we get uh shit about or you know when it comes to privilege and what is privilege what is not there's so many conversations honestly it's so much all the time, everything to me. I really, after that thing that happened with that guy telling me this, that is the moment that I decided I'm not going to fight anymore because I'm investing all the energy I have. I want to invest all the energy I have in creating. I don't want to invest in, in fighting anymore. So that's what I've been doing. So every time there's like, of course, I make statements when things are important to me. And of course, we push, we are very strongly in positioning our movement, me personally, and, and the whole movement positioning in, in, in a lot of political different issues or, or human issues or racial issues. But again, I I don't want to fight. I just want to create and vibrate and, uh, yeah, keep it high. <laughs> so how is the movement now, like 10 years down the line? Like, can, how, do you, how can you characterize it? It's a movement on its own. It, it's like honestly i i see it like a like your kid grew and it has life on its own and it's it's now there's so many movements and so many women and so many i don't know it's just it's just beautiful to see and to witness and it was insane to think about this 10 years ago so now that i see that it's already a thing and it's happening now it's when I feel that I can retire, you know, so, sort of, you know, it's like, okay, then no one needs me anymore. Like I can go and do something else. So yeah, <laughs> that's a little which bit is, how I feel. Yeah. And, and like we were saying before we started recording, so you've, you've, you've literally moved to the, to the new role now. So you've, you, so when did you set up the NGO? Was that three years ago? Did you say? Yes. In 2017, I created it, but this year is, is the first year that I'm really like all the, we have running projects, but most of the projects so far have been running out of me asking a lot of favors to a lot of people. So it's like, you know, to all my friends who have brands, like, can you please send me 10 boards to India? Can you please, you know, like send shoes to Malaysia? So this is the way we've been operating so far. But now our programs became really, really professional. And I'm at the moment, I'm looking for for the funding for this. We have six running projects for next year in. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that. And I'm looking forward to making it happen. So um, what kind of projects are you working on? Like what? 
So we have a project in India. We've been working for many years now. We have a, there's a center there of parents. They are, maybe some of them are in jail. Some of them are drug addicts. So we have 120 kids, uh, girls mostly. And uh, we have, uh, so twice a week we teach them how to skate. Uh, twice a week we, there's music programs, arts program, crafts program, and also uh, sexual and period education. This is extremely taboo in, in most of these countries. So, yeah, this is beautiful. In Malaysia, we have uh, the Wolfpack Skate Girls. So it started as a group of girls to start skating. Malaysia is a really complicated country when it comes to girls and women because they are really seen as fourth-class citizens. And, and it's, it's, it's crazy, the inequality over there. So we created it as a group for, for as a safe space for girls to start skating. And some of the great... Uh, second, uh, how do you say, consequences that we were not expecting were that boys and men are seeing these girls skating and they're changing the perception they have of girls and women. So this is uh, beautiful uh, to, to happen. We have a project in Belgium uh, gathering kids from the refugee center because there is a lot of stigma and racism around refugees, in, especially in these small towns, you know. So we are trying to get the kids from the local kids with the refugee kids and gather them and yeah, make them skate together. We have a project in Chile with disabled kids adapting skateboards and, and yeah, any kind of boards uh, for them. And uh, what else? We are supporting a project in Ghana, creating the first skate park in Ghana and a kind of a house Airbnb as well. With uh, We're supporting Surf Ghana and Skate Gal Club, which is a beautiful project that I love. So, yeah, uh, that are some of the projects. So how do you find the projects? Do people like come to you or is it just from, from the work you've been doing previously? Uh, half and half. Some of them approach to me because they know what I'm doing and they, they yeah, uh, yeah, we see if we can collaborate. And some of them we've created ourselves from people, I don't know, the project in Belgium. I got a call from, from this lady, Marcela from El Salvador. She had to fled El Salvador because she was being, um, she, there was a, there's a lot of gang violence over there. So if you don't pay them, you know, you need to, so it's very complicated. And she told me her story, how she got out of a aggressive marriage, thanks to longboarding and our videos and her mother giving her a board and this really empowered her. So she really felt stronger and, and left um, this person and then through longboarding she found her new partner and then they had to fled from El Salvador to, to Belgium as refugees with all their kids and she wrote me a message from the refugee center in Belgium telling me her story and of course I read that email and I was like let's do something you know in tears and that's how we created the, the this project and yeah some of them you know they come to me some of them I go to them it's it's how it has to happen and um what ambitions do you have for, for it then, like long term? Do you, is it, do you want to keep growing it and like in develop it in the same way that you develop the original movement or? Yes, absolutely. Different it's, it's different because one thing is like growing communities and creating these safe spaces for women and the non-profit project, uh, the non-profit, sorry. It's really focused. All the programs are really like humanitarian uh, There's like there, there are programs that are developed, you know, it's not so... So we have all this education and, and there's a lot of things happening with the program. So, of course, what I want is, um, so for this next year, we have six programs we want to develop in six different countries. My ambition would be have as many programs as possible in as many countries as possible. There's so many people who need 
all sorts of help, but mostly our help is re is mostly focused on healing the soul. We work with people with in super vulnerable communities. We work with people that have gone through extreme trauma. So to us, I, what I wanted to do is bring this joy and this empowerment that longboarding really it changed and shifted my life. I was in such a dark place and. It really changed everything. So I wanted to bring this this love and empowerment and, and change of the self-esteem, you know, to these kids and women who have gone through the unimaginable for us. And uh, afterwards, of course, the programs got bigger. And, and now we have, it's not just about the skateboarding or the longboarding, but about all the other things that we do. But it's really focused on healing the soul to me. That's that's what we bring. It's not just about like, you know, having the food or this. It's, it's To me, it's more this about healing the soul. And that originally comes from your own transformative experience personally of the power of the change that it, that it gave you. Yes, because I think it's so powerful and it really changed my life. So I was like, we need to bring this to as many people as, as possible. And we, if we, if through this tool that we, can, we have, we can affect positively even more because Lombard Girls Crew was already a social project. It was always a social project, but this, new the nonprofit the humanitarian kind of, of uh, mission it's really now going through the most vulnerable because i don't know i feel if, if it done so much for me maybe it can do the same for many people right yeah i mean it makes a lot of sense i guess i'm just interested in in your case like why longboarding like what was it like what um, like where, where did it where did it come from so I don't know, I guess I was always kind of interested in, in action sports and uh, I don't know, I did kind of like aggressive inline skating when I was a teenager, but it was not until I was 28 that I started longboarding. I wanted to, I was like, oh, longboarding, I don't know, again, it's these some things that, you know, there are some things that just come to your mind and they stick. And then I had a friend who, who was touring with different bands and there's this Australian band, hardcore band that I love called Park, Parkway Drive. And <laughs> they were touring around Spain and they left. They couldn't pass their board on security at the airport. So he left it right. to, to my friend. And my friend was like, hey, I got a longboard for you, you know. So when he came to Madrid, he brought it to me. And that's actually how I started longboarding at, at 28. More serendipity. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so with the change that you've just made... To, to kind of focus fully on the NGO. Was that something that you personally were ready for that change? Like, cause you know, it's a long time, 10 years to, de to dedicate your life to something as you have done. Um, and co especially considering the battles that you've described and you know, the whole, the whole situation that you've, that you've been through to get it to this point. So did you, did you feel like it was ready for change personally? Like to, to, to shift your focus? Yes, it was not easy, of course, because after 10 years of such a successful project that definitely changed my life for sure and has an impact that I don't think I can ever measure, somehow I, I feel that I identify a lot, like a lot of my self-perception is very linked to many of the things that I've done in this project. So letting go of that is also a little bit 
not dying to a part of me, but really letting go to a, to a part of me. I, I think it's a very interesting ego process, you know, to let yeah. go of that and just start new with something very small. And uh, but I'm I feel ready. I feel ready. And I'm actually excited. You know, it's uh, something sometimes faces. I don't I don't know if I was ready two years ago. I feel that I'm definitely ready now. So I'll announce I, originally I was going to announce it this week, like publicly. I think I will do next week, so, but I think this is not going to come, no? In two days, so <laughs> it's not going to come out in two days. <laughs> yeah. could, could do. Hola! <laughs> so, but yeah, I'll, I think on Monday I'll publicly announce my I'll, retirement. I'll, 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 bring it out. I'll bring it out on Monday. There we go. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, the, the word ego is really interesting, isn't it? Because it's difficult to know when to move on, especially when you've created something that's that's really personal to you that's that it's that you know it's just as a life skill it's just it is really hard isn't it and um i've certainly been in those situations where is there's a fear involved isn't there you know fear of the unknown it's like mm. oh jesus what's what, what's what's that going to mean like who am i if i don't do that absolutely you know? who am i if i don't do that that is the question yeah. yes yes and it, it's it's, it's mm. a hard one mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely but i think i don't know on the other hand i have I have the nonprofit and I'm there is this voice inside me that I've always listened to that this voice is saying it's okay it's on this way so I trust this voice and this voice always guide me in in perfectly in my life path so even though it's scary I'm still doing it because I believe it's the right thing to do for me now and was that because you felt like you were getting too comfortable or too too associated with it personally yeah i guess at some point as well there is something when you don't get i mean it's hard on one hand because we have to me it's really like family like we have all the ambassadors we are like uh, 90 ambassadors from all around the world and we're really close and we talk every week and and from all over the world and we're really family and loving and supportive and you know it's so to me this is so special you know and and it's not just about this perception and the ego and everything but it's really I always tell them I'm not going anywhere but when I told them on our whatsapp group like hey so this is happening it was really it was it was very strong and very it was a little bit like a f going to your own funeral you know like all these people <laughs> <laughs> all these people saying these things and it's like okay like I'm not dying but still it was really really emotional uh but I think yeah again I think I'm it's it's time and sometimes I guess when it, you start not getting as, as excited about certain things and when certain things starts to be more of a drag, I think there it's signs that it's this phase is starting to, you know, you need to move on somehow. And, yeah, um, and that, it's not an easy thing to, to listen to that, is it? You know, no. <laughs> like it takes, it, takes, it takes courage, I think, sometimes to, to listen to that and, and kind of, not ignore it because it can be an element kind of like oh gonna gonna ignore no, that for, for sure we don't always listen to hear what we want to hear and it's not always we we like to be comfortable and you know and in the known but so it's it's uh yeah but i always also i've been working many years on on the detachment of things that's why i went living with, with without a house and that's i don't know i i worked for many years on the detachment of things and I think this is a great exercise as well. As in purposefully living with few possessions? Or... Yes, and without a house. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that because that's 
because that's obviously you said you did that for how long like three years um um and that was a conscious decision to do that absolutely yes because i i just broke up with someone i moved to france uh I don't know, 2016 or something. And then a year after that relationship ended and I didn't feel like going back to Spain. But I, of course, I didn't feel like staying in France because French. Uh, no, I, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, half of, I'm not completely. Hey, we're, all, we're, we're, all Euro- <laughs> we're all Europeans. We're all allowed to slag each other off. <laughs> nah. Okay. So, yeah. And at that time, I always tell this story how I was reading this, what today is my favorite book by Deepak Chopra. It's The Way of the Wizard. And there was something that... They say it's it's about it's uh, there's all co- these comparisons about uh, Merlin teaching Arthur how to become a king, but a king on with by soul, right? And he said, and the book said something like, for humans, for you humans, you build houses to protect yourself from the outside world, but for a wizard, home is the moment, and moment is always moving in the path of time. And I read that, and I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's let's make me home you know and uh, that's what i did for three years and i can say they were the best three years of my life and there was no fear i I only knew two weeks in advance where i was able to stay the next up the upcoming weeks but there was never fear there was never i don't know i always felt so guided and free and um, i had a, a, a little bag with the two with my longboard my skateboard and some winter clothes and summer clothes and this is all i had and it was amazing really amazing so what was it that made you decide to to go back to living with a house I just felt that that phase was over. I've learned everything that I had to, or I felt that I had to. And uh, the same way now that I feel that a phase is becoming to an end. Suddenly it's not so exciting. Suddenly you just feel that you want to do something else. And I wanted to develop, properly develop all the programs for the nonprofit and, and go through this shift. You know, I'm going through like letting go LGC, getting into the nonprofit, some many other personal changes that I'm going through. So I felt that I wanted to be at a at the same place all the time. Afterwards I moved here and then I, I <laughs> in one year I was only here three months, huh? So this I will say too. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you ended but, up doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's nice to I feel very privileged to have a place to go back stupid but to have a bed and to have your towel and to have a living room and a kitchen and oh light just it feels glorious you know like every morning I'm so grateful and and I'm so happy that I have this and I have even a little room that is this that I have my little office where I can see all the trees and the birds from out and I can work super inspired and aligned with what I believe is 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 love and truth so I don't know. I feel very grateful for for this phase as well. I mean, it sounds like you're just trying to live in the way that's the most honest to to yourself. And I'm I'm using the word honest in the you know a, the significant sense. You know, like actually, because because being personally honest with yourself is is very difficult, as we all know. And to and we all try and do it, don't we, to a degree. But to actually follow it through in the way that you've done on a lot of levels is is quite rare, I would say. Um, has is is that is that been almost like the guiding thing behind it, like to understand yourself to that degree with that degree of honesty? 
like you know what because let me just let me before you answer let me just sort of contextualize it a little bit more as well because there's a lot of expectations on women let's be honest you know there's a lot of there's a lot of set roles for women there's a lot of like here's what you do at this age here's what you do at this age you know traditionally patriarchally and it's it it's interesting when you know obviously when you reject that which is clearly what everybody should do because people should be free to live the way they, they want to live with with honesty and in, in the way that suits them it's still quite rare isn't it you know and it's still it's still not something that's that common i would say particularly in your classic sort of western culture hmm. so is is that something that's been part of this for you like attaining that level of honesty yes i have uh, i don't know yeah maybe i would call it as well coherence sure if that makes yeah. sense yeah i mean because that probably makes much more sense yeah because Honest, honesty carries yes. weight doesn't it in, in a certain way yeah yes coherence with with what i believe and with my values and with most of the time i encounter because i'm also this this way like i don't know like i of course i don't buy clothes i only buy once a year secondhand clothes of course i you know like i don't know i don't consume any kind of plastic so i get out of my way to only buy like local things without you know in a bulk like i do my own products like my own like i don't buy anything i just use everything you know that i make out of you know so i really try to be conscious of everything that i need of everything that i use and uh, really align to what i believe is the way i i would like to to live in the world but this of course comes with a lot of struggle because firstly and foremost you're a pain in the ass to everyone so every time you go out, <laughs> I don't know if you go out to, <laughs> to eat or something, I'm always the person with my cutlery or with my straw, or with my jar. Like, Please just put it here. If not, if this place doesn't, you know, I can't eat there. And, it, you know, so of course, I'm really a pain in the ass to, to, to most of the people <laughs> around me who don't live according to the same values that I have. Or maybe many people have these values, but they, it's, they struggle to put them in practice, Right. But to me, living in this coherence is what keeps me aligned. And if I'm not aligned, what am I doing? You know, if I'm not aligned with what I believe is the way I want to live my life and, and my life path, to me, it doesn't make any sense living any other way. So to me, it's not hard. To me, it just, yeah, it's just some adaptations here and there, but... To me, this is what makes sense. And this is as well what makes me happy, even though sometimes it's way more challenging than the mainstream way of doing things. Yeah. I just think it's it's still quite rare, you know. For, and, and I think, yeah, I just, I'm just hearing your story and hearing the decisions that you've made, you know, like that, the, the words you use make sense, definitely. Because it's, it's about learning understanding and being truthful isn't it to the way that you think you should live which is you make it sound quite straightforward but i don't think it can be that straightforward for everybody a lot of the time because it's mm -hmm. i guess that's why i use the word honesty because i meant it in the context of self-honesty you know and being truthful to what you believe yes and, it's um, just... there's a lot of pressures that, that lead you away from that aren't there you know Yes, because also the, the not only the, the social commands are really leading you to the way of not <laughs> living with this kind of coherence or honesty, but also, of course, yes, I, I see many 
not just in myself, but in many people around me, it's, uh, I always say it's easier for people to defend the lie they live in than accept that there is another truth or there is a truth that it's not the one that they, that they understand as it. I don't know if that made sense what I said, but um, I think it's, it's hard to be honest and coherent because most people will, again, will defend the lie then you know it takes a lot of courage of course to 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 live and i i come from a really complicated place huh? like i'm armenian i come from an armenian family extremely male dominated and patriarchal and uh, i've gone through many many uh, strong things in my life i've gone through many addictions and eating disorders and uh, i've been lost most of my life until this beautiful transformation started happening 10 years ago. So I don't know, I, I know the the struggle, but I don't know, I think it's, it's beautiful to see that it's through this struggle as well and understanding why things happen that we can actually thrive in love. To me, that's, to me, that's the only way I see things and that's the way that I try to live my life and sharing this and doing these things for others as well because I feel so privileged now. Like I always say, I don't, conceive living in privilege and not working for those who don't have it like i don't understand that so how can we not you know to me so i guess my final question would be that this transformative power that these activities have like in your case longboarding is that is that why is that why they're such powerful vehicles to kind of create the social change that you're interested in creating at this point because of what they give to the individual and the way that they can shift this self-perception? I think these are tools. I always say my tool to start was skateboarding and longboarding. I think there are many tools to bring transformation to people. I don't think it's just something, of course, I will. I think longboarding and skateboarding are fantastic and beautiful, but I think there are, everything can be a tool to help people thrive and to help people heal and to bring joy to people. So I always say, I use this one because this is the one I know and this is the one I have. But we all have one. We can all do something. We can all, you know, create something with whatever it is that we have or we know. So in, at the end, the tools, I don't think they matter so much. I think what matters the most is, is our intention and how we do things. So, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Thanks so much. I, I really, really enjoyed that. That was great. Thank you. Thank you for sure. Thank you for having me, of course. So there you go. That was my chat with Valeria and I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, it's a great one, isn't it? I was really impressed by the equanimity Valeria has obviously consistently displayed and the way she's chosen to rise above it all to choose kindness and positivity wherever possible. I've put the links to, to her Instagram and various um, work in the show notes on my website. So get yourself over, plug time, to www.wearelookingsideways.com to find out more about Valeria and to follow the links if you want to find out more about some of the other things we've discussed while I'm doing this bit. You know, if you're listening, watching on YouTube, because I do have a YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening via your usual podcast platforms, then make sure you, you subscribe there. And also, fuck it. I'm on nearly 9,000 followers on Instagram, which is not enormous. I, I understand that, but it's nearly 10,000. So if you do fancy helping me hit that milestone, you can find me at We Look Sideways. Give us a follow. Go on then. All right, housekeeping corner time. Yes, thank fuck those other lightweights have signed off and it's just us diehards left. So the main news from my side 
as I alluded to at the beginning of the show, is that we've had a breakthrough with the book, the Looking Sideways book, which I've been talking about for nearly, well, it's definitely over a year. It's going to happen. Basically, I've agreed a sponsorship deal with Vero, the social network I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, which is going to mean I can swerve the entire Kickstarter thing and just get the book out. And even more excitingly, the deal also means we've been able to expand the scope of the book, which is great because it means we've now got contributions from lots of past podcast guests, including Chaz Smith, Lauren Hill, Rob Machado, Jeff Johnson, Cersei Wallace, Annie Fast, Ben Mundy, Craig Peterson, and loads more. Ed Lee, he's chipped in. And it means we can give even more of a platform to Owen's amazing photos, which was the entire point of the book in the first place. It's looking great. Owen's done a brilliant job on the design and obviously the photography. I've been taking care of the words and the editing. And we're both pretty happy to get this thing out in the world. Now, as you'll know, if you've been listening to Looking Sideways for a while, my podcast is unusual. I'm probably the only one that doesn't actually have any sponsors, really. And um, deciding whether to work with different sponsors has been something I've discussed on the show over the years. I mean, obviously, I work with Patagonia on Type 2, which is a really specific thing, which I've talked about a lot. But in the main, I've turned down all offered deals in the past. So a bit of a departure for me to decide to work with Vero on the book. I mean, there's a few reasons why I've made this call, really. Firstly, because it's a book you know, pretty obvious thing to say, but it's a big, enormous investment of time and effort. And, you know, me and Owen need to make sure it gets paid for somehow. I've been lucky enough to have quite a few books published over the years. So I do speak about this from a position of some experience. And basically your options, if you're going to try and get a book published are get a publisher, been lucky enough to do that a few times over the years, but it's not for me anymore. Basically, when you get a deal with a publisher they just give you a loan effectively to pay for the book and then you pay that loan back through any sales and they also give you an enormously stressful deadline and you have to give up a lot of control so to be honest that one was out I did have a meeting with a lovely agent a while back who listens to the show so hello if you're listening um, who offered to work with me on developing a looking sideways book concept but that would have required me basically writing a book up front which would have then got shopped around to publishers with no guarantee that it'd ever get picked up I mean that wasn't happening so then you know your options are paying for it yourself which is something we did talk about I mean we're not minted me and Owen but we probably could have scraped together enough to get a short run going but then that's quite a risk and to be honest I've basically fronted the cash for this podcast since day one by the decision never to work with any sponsors so I was kind of fucked if I was going to do it on the book so then your options are crowdfunding which we also considered and that's basically a good way of securing enough pre-sales to pay for the print run and I've got to be honest the thought of doing a kickstarter made my heart sink a little bit you know they can be really successful and they can be executed brilliantly like my friend John Weaver's just done with his anti-blueprint project absolutely smashed his um, target as you'll know if you follow me on Instagram, because I've talked about that a little bit over there. But, you know, essentially, if you're doing a Kickstarter, you're doing two massive rounds of effort. You, you're doing the promo for the to get it made. And then when you make the thing, you're doing promo for that as well. Which led to this final option, which is getting a brand or sponsor to front the cash in return for an association with the project, which is the option we've gone for with Vero. And the deal that we struck with Vero is such that we have total creative control over it. 
um, and they're just going to help us get it out there and promote it. I don't have the full details of what that looks like yet, mainly because we haven't made them up. Um, but when we do sit down and work that out, I will, of course, be setting spam levels to 11 across my various comms channels. And you're going to be fucking sick of hearing about this book. Um, it's just the way it goes, isn't it? You know, but that's what's going to happen. It means we can publish it. We can get some, we can get some out and uh, concentrate on making the book as good as possible rather than worrying about paying for it and promoting it. You know, of course, there's a few ethical considerations when it comes to choosing sponsorship. And in the age of the social dilemma and all that, of course, I did consider whether I was happy to work with yet another social network. But as I explained the other week, I'm on Vero. It's ad-free. It's algorithm-free. There's no data harvesting. It's a pretty friendly space where people are just sharing links, films, books, etc., which is pretty much all I do on social media anyway. So, you know, I've gone for it, basically. So... I probably don't sound that stoked in it, but yeah, we're really, we're really stoked in it. It's looking brilliant. You know, we were going to try and get it out for Christmas, but in the end, that's never going to happen. So we've stopped worrying about that. It's going to be ready when it's ready. That's about as much as I can say. If you're interested, the best way of getting updates is to get up, get me on Instagram or you can sign up to my newsletter, which you can do via my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com or there's a link to that through my uh, bio on Instagram. So yeah, there you go. Book happening, looking great. It's about 300 pages, mental. You know, of course that Rich Roll fella had to steal my thunder, didn't he? Announcing his book in the same week. Yeah, nice one. But yeah, whatever, it's going to be good. So uh, if you're interested, get yourself a copy when it's out. Um, elsewhere, I've been working with a couple of other friends on some plans for a Looking Sideways event platform. Now, of course, I'm aware that you couldn't choose a worse time in human history to try and launch an event, given that the entire concept of people gathering in one place is about to be cancelled for yet another few months. Yes, I am recording this the day after lockdown was announced um, in the UK. But it's been fun chatting it over regardless. And I think it, I think we've got a good idea on our hands for that. So again, I'll be discussing it on the show and in other spots when uh, when the time is right. All right, that's it for me for this week. I'll be back next week with the latest episode of Type 2. And then normal service, i.e. weekly episodes coming out, should be resumed because I've got quite a few lined up. Nice one. See you then. Mm-hmm.